0: Hey, everyone, welcome to The Leadership Locker. My name is Rich Cardona, and on this podcast, we dig through the lessons of today's most exceptional leaders to help you break through your barriers. If you're trying to progress your career, if you are trying to accelerate your entrepreneurial journey, which I know you all are, if you're looking to have a smoother transition out of the military because it is incredibly difficult, then you're in the right place My guests and I are gonna give you the tools and the resources to accelerate your curve, help you surge and just crush it. So here we go. You just said you are working incrementally on many things. I believe uh, as an entrepreneur, whether you're a veteran entrepreneur, civilian entrepreneur, whatever you wanna call it, you can easily get pulled in a lot of different directions. You have clearly mastered entrepreneurial income streams and businesses. So you can probably do a little bit of everything at once. But if you are starting out and you say, well, this podcast could be great. This video series could be great. This blog could be great. My website needs to get up and I could sell my t-shirts on e-commerce. What advice would you give to those starting out to not overdo it and to really have a chance at success?
1: Yeah, I think there's two principles that are useful here, Rich. The first one is, I think it's important at the outset of any business idea to actually play it out and think about what the long-term income potential is of a particular idea, because sometimes there's just wildly different variations. I mean, for instance, I was shooting video this weekend. I'm going to be doing a promotional push for one of my online courses. I was making these promotional videos. And so I was talking with a videographer who is an amazing videographer. And he was telling me that one of his sidelines that he was doing was he had started doing a lot of work for corporations, especially for venture capital funds. And they were hiring him to go do promotional videos for their various portfolio companies. I mean, this is a really good business model. You yes. have one client, the VC fund, and you can get however many, five, ten different engagements from i need to
0: meet this person. <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty great. And he also said, oh, and I was also thinking about maybe I could start doing workshops or training for small businesses. And I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Let's think about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is fun. That is a noble cause. But if you're talking about uh, really investing a lot of time, which he did not have a lot of, you know, there's a new dad, etc. If you're talking about most small businesses, you know, bricks and mortar, these are folks who often have very, very low profit margins. It is going to be tight for them. They're playing with their own money, not house money. And so making a decision to invest in a training, invest in a course, hire him. I mean, a thousand bucks is a big deal to them. You know, they're going to be sweating it out. And if you are picking a line of business to go into where you're gonna to have to scrap for every last dollar, I mean, if that's the only game, okay, but if you have something else that's already working that's a lot more lucrative, oftentimes, you know, they say like investing in stocks, you, you make your money on the front end when you decide to buy it. And in business, you make your money on your front end by deciding what not to go into, what not to focus on. So I think that's one crucial thing. The second thing that I'll throw out there, we can discuss it more if you'd like, is about goal setting. And I have a very particular goal setting methodology that I have written about. And for me, I practice this personally, I am a believer, first of all, in not having year long goals because I feel like that's a little too long. I prefer to work in six month increments and I make sure that I have no more than two goals for any six month increment. That's not to say you're not doing other things. I mean, we all have emails to respond to and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But in terms of where we are focusing and strategically driving forward, no more than two major projects at a time. And if you can do that, you can really gain traction.
0: So the name of the game is providing value. When you are really trying to make a name for yourself or you're trying to make as much as you can, I know you said that there's not a lot of time, but how do you create the discipline to just realize like, okay, I have to focus on this one thing, even though I could offer value in multiple ways?
1: I think one way to begin to make peace with it is if someone, I mean, it's a question of how low hanging the fruit is, right? Sure. Like, if you have a client that's a pre existing client, you've worked with them, they know you, they think you're fantastic, and they say, Oh, Rich, we have this other thing. Could you do this other thing for us? I mean, You know, there's not a lot of harm in that, honestly, if it's something that is interesting to you, if it's something that they're gonna pay you reasonably well for, and if you think it's an area that, you know what, maybe I could test this out and see if this could actually become an offering. The problem comes when people decide to chase things, because it's the chasing that takes the time. And most people don't build that into their calculations. They say, oh, I could have this amazing mastermind and people could pay me $25,000 a year and I'll get 10 people and that'll be a quarter million dollars. And I mean, yes, if that works (laughs) out, that's awesome. But the problem is, well, how do you get the 10 people? And if you are having to just hustle like a maniac and kill yourself to do it, and you don't even end up getting that many people, that's not a good strategy. That's not a good wash, even if in the platonic ideal world, it's a great strategy. So the question is, if you can opportunistically capitalize on connections you already have or build on relationships and people are kind of coming to you, that's the best. Expand that way where it's easy and then you can grow.
0: So I completely understand that. Now, I want to talk to you about being the chase again in a different way. When you get out and I'm pursuing, let's say, a podcasting, And I go to this conference and this conference and this conference. And you and I both know all those conferences by design have something at the end that you should sign up for this services or our partner or whatever. When it comes to that, what do you think about the capacity to kind of learn? Or do you feel like that's something that, you know, it's better off to just kind of try it and do it yourself and and figure it out rather than invest in multiple courses? Because it's easy to get sucked into that trap.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of people that I know that have kind of gone down the rabbit hole of, oh, but I don't know enough about this. And so I'll learn this and I'll learn this. And oh, well, I really should get certified before I do that. (laughs) And the interesting thing, which I think not a lot of people properly appreciate, is that learning can become a form of procrastination. And, you know, obviously it's not the worst form of procrastination in the world. I mean, it's, di- yes, it's different than playing video games. Yes, it's different than watching cat videos. You are getting something out of it. But the problem is you are procrastinating from the thing you actually really need to be doing. And it's pernicious because it feels virtuous. Oh, I'm, I'm advancing my business. Well, yes, you are, but in a theoretical sense that is not helping you pay the bills tomorrow, which oftentimes is what you actually need to be doing. And so I think the question is, how much do you need to learn before you can appropriately take action? I mean, that's the thing. If there's something that you must know before you can successfully land a client, let's say, then go, you know, study that, do that. But if it's, oh, well, I'm not perfect at this, or I'm not the best at this yet. Well, guess what? You're never going to be the best. There will all, there's, you know, 7 billion people. Someone will always be better than you. The question is, uh, it doesn't have to be better. You just need to be different. You know, a lot of people rich would want to hire you, because they like your style or they like they like you know who you are, they like your personality, they like that you're a veteran, whatever. That is a compelling enough reason. You don't have to be the best in terms of knowing the most about, you know, every single category. If you know enough and you overlay it with you being you, then that is enough to make a sale. And that's what's powerful.
0: That's great. And I, I wanna talk now about This is like a super hot topic with everyone I talk to that has tried to start their own business. And I think we've discussed it before, but I want to recover it. Free work. You are trying to make a free name. I think you told me you did tons of free speeches at the beginning when you were trying to build your speaking career. Now you're charging a lot because you are a hot commodity. You have so much value to add and people want it. What are the guardrails when it comes to free work? Everyone's like, oh, no, it's going to cheapen you. Other people are like, you know, do it. You could earn it. This is going to get you the name you need for another place. What do you think are the guardrails for that?
1: I actually think that free work can be a very valuable thing. And you're right. There's a lot of people that push back. They say it's it's exploitive. You should never do it. But frankly, I disagree because when you come in for free, it de-risks the equation for the other person, right? Even if you're charging a low fee, there's still some degree of risk or you know, this cognitive weighing that has to happen. Well, you know, is it really worth it? Do I really need someone to do this or would I pay for that? But if you come to me and you say, I will do this thing for you for free. You might, Dory, have not thought that you needed this thing, but you know what? How much risk is it if I'm giving it to you? Do you want to give it a try? And at that point, it feels like, well okay, he's probably right, there's probably an upside, let's give it a shot. And if it turns out that you actually are great at what you do and you're great to work with, I am gonna be so enthusiastic about it because of the reciprocity principle that Robert Cialdini talks about in his work in psychology, that I am going to want to go, if I'm, you know, a decent person, which most people are, I'm going to go above and beyond to shout from the rooftops, oh, hey, look at this thing that Rich did for me. Oh, Rich, let me introduce you to this person and connect you to that person and refer you. There's a level of gratitude. Whereas if you had come in and said, oh, hey, Dory, I'll do this thing for you for 200 bucks, I mean... yes, that's affordable. It's probably a great price for whatever the thing is. But in my head, I'm saying, well, I didn't really even think I needed this thing and I could use the 200 bucks on a fancy dinner. So maybe I'd rather do that. So I think free is often the way that you can get in. And if you're doing it strategically with high profile, high value clients whose word will travel and who are good for you to be associated with, that can be very powerful. I
0: love it. I wrote a stat very recently in the Bunker Labs annual report that 25% of veterans or military family members want to be entrepreneurs. But the actual stat of those who become it since 2011 is very, very small. Do you have any insight on why, and I say we, because I took the leap, but what that initial form of reluctance is when it comes to pursuing your passion? I mean, the transition's hard enough but what do you think it is that is holding us back from truly pursuing things that we dream about doing forever?
1: I suspect that there's probably two things at play when it comes to veterans being reluctant to enter into entrepreneurship, even if it's something that they would really like to be doing ideally. The first is that as you rightly mentioned, it is kind of stressful and traumatic to have this, this reinvention into civilian life. Mm-hmm. And so when you were in the midst of so many changes, There is kind of an existential comfort that comes from feeling like, oh, there's a path and I will just get on that path. There is an escalator and I will get my toehold and then I will ride on the escalator and it will progress me the way things progress. And I think it feels safer, which goes into the second piece, which is frankly, I mean, this is this is not just veterans. This is kind of society at large. But there is still what I would consider to be the myth that working for a company is a safer bet for your life and your career than entrepreneurship is. I mean, I discovered very early on, I had both, you could say the fortune and the misfortune of discovering early on, I got laid off from my very first job. And so it hit me hard, oh, this is not safe at all. You know, it's, it's safe up until the minute it's not. And then you realize, oh my God, wow, I miscalculated. And then all of a sudden you have zero income streams. For me, it took me six months until I found a job I was laid off right before 9-11. And so the economy was terrible. It was very, very hard. And I, you know, I'm just sitting there trying to scrape freelance gigs together and, and on unemployment checks. So it's it's not the place that you want to be. But there is the cultural myth that it's entrepreneurship that's risky. One of the things that I try to do in, in the spirit of fighting back, because I actually feel quite strongly about this in my book, Entrepreneurial You is to talk about the value of creating multiple income streams. Because you know, if you have a table and it has one leg and that leg gets chopped off, well, you're sunk. But, you know, if you got four legs, five legs, which if you're an entrepreneur, you probably have three or four or five clients or however many. You know what? One goes away. Sure, it's not great, but the table is still standing. And there's really something to be said for that if you are somebody who's trying to provide for your family. The last thing, and
0: I know we got to wrap, wrap up. i got the signal. But tell me or tell us, our community, who entrepreneurship is not for. It is cool to a lot of people. And you even just said it might be safer than traditional workplace, which I found traditional workplace was not for me either. And I'm in this. This cannot be plan B. This is plan A. But who is it not for? So there's no misconceptions.
1: When it comes to entrepreneurship, I think that the first step, of course, is a general willingness and interest, right? I mean, ultimately, there are some people that are very excited about the possibility of, yes, I can make it on my own. I can do my own thing. I can stand or fall on my own merits. Mm -hmm. And even that attitude alone will actually take you remarkably far. But on the other side of the spectrum, there are people that say, oh, that's not what I want. I just want to do my thing. I want to get a paycheck. I just, you know, I don't want to have to think about it. I want my 9 to 5. I want my real life to be what I do after work. And there's plenty of people I've met them who have that attitude. God bless them. People can do whatever they want. I feel that is kind of a risky attitude over the long term if you don't have a plan B for yourself, but If people believe that, then they're not going to have the get up and go that's necessary for entrepreneurship. So I think it's probably not worth them trying because you have to want it and you have to be willing to scrap for it. Fundamentally, entrepreneurship is about a willingness to be creative. It's about being the person where, you know what, the printer's broken, there's nobody else that's gonna fix the printer. <laughs> You're gonna fix the printer. Right. And if you don't know how to do it, you freaking look it up on YouTube and you figure that out because yeah. there's no one coming for us, we're the us, that's right? Exactly so I think a lot of military people have lived that in terms of their military experience. And entrepreneurship, in many ways, is living that in the civilian world. Of You know what? We're saving ourselves. Yep. That's how we do it.
0: Someone told me very recently that as a Marine, a Marine officer who's out, and they said, I didn't realize it, but I'm more of an executor than anything. And it's not a bad thing, but when you venture into this world, it's like you're right. You are writing the mission, the vision, and the values, and that is an undertaking like no other You're hiring, you're firing. I mean, everything falls on you. So I understand completely and I love your points. You have three books, amazing books. Uh, Where can people find you so they can hear more, learn more, and maybe attend a mastermind one day?
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Rich. My books are Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, perhaps especially apt for uh, veterans in transition and Stand Out. And if folks are interested in kind of getting a taste of it, I have a free resource, which is the Entrepreneurial You Self-Assessment, and folks can get that for free at doryclark.com entrepreneur.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Locker. For more about us, how we can serve you, and for other episodes, please visit richcardonamedia.com backslash podcast. If you liked this episode a lot or little, please don't forget to subscribe so that way my guests and I could continue to deliver some heat and get you the knowledge that you want don't miss an episode. Please join our Facebook group so you get much more exclusive content. Take care.